We are in the 13th sermon of our story of the Bible in 16 verses. And today we find ourselves in John chapter 19. John chapter 19. And today we're going to be looking at, in this big story of the Bible, the cross. From John chapter... Nineteen. And as you're turning there, um, as I've done each week, I want to remind us of the story, where we've been, in case you're just joining us maybe for the first time. Uh, we've been looking at the Bible from the big picture, uh, from the 30,000 foot view. And so... Um, if you have kids here today, it is intentional for children to be in the, in the service today. We want them to uh, be a part of what we do. Uh, parents, they get to see you worship and listen to the Word of God. And so this is a good thing for us today. Um, and so the story of the Bible, big picture, is this. God created a kingdom, and He is the king, but He made human beings to represent Him in that kingdom. And yet Adam and Eve rejected that call in Genesis chapter 3, which led to sin and death. But, Genesis three fifteen, we see that God had a plan. And that plan was that he promised to defeat the serpent through the seed of the woman, who is also the seed of Abraham. And so the rest of Genesis is about Abraham's family. Specifically, Genesis 49, through Judah's royal seed, David, the covenant blessings, would come to the world, a descendant from David, uh, whose kingdom would be established forever. And yet we see in the Old Testament that because all people were guilty of sin and deserved death, the sacrifices of the Mosaic law revealed more clearly our need for a substitute. Specifically, Isaiah 53 shows us that substitute would be the suffering servant. And through the work of the servant and the work of the Holy Spirit, God would establish a new covenant. He would give lasting life to His people in the new heavens and the new earth. And now we get to the New Testament. And we saw last week through fulfillment that Jesus is the one through whom all of these promises find their fulfillment. And today we find that that fulfillment comes first in His sacrificial death for sin on the cross. When we read the book of Genesis, we see that before Adam and Eve could even begin to understand this new reality, when Adam and Eve bit the fruit of that tree that God commanded them not to, and God said, the day that you eat of it, you will die. They had no idea what that meant. And it would take a long time for them to fully understand the ramifications of what it meant that death would enter into the world. But even before they even understood the consequences of their rebellion, God had announced that there was a plan in place. A plan to make all things new again. And so while we have seen this redemptive plan unfold at each stop of our tour of the Bible, we are finally arriving at the culmination. The culmination and the climax of world history centers on the work of Christ on the cross. And just as we did in Genesis chapter 3, we find ourselves looking up at another tree. Not a tree of life, but a tree of death. You see, unlike that first tree in the Garden of Eden, there is nothing attractive about the tree today. Nothing attractive about this tree. It has been stripped of its branches. It has been shaped into a cross in order to be used 
for crucifixion. And it is on that cross that Christ Himself would go. The only person in world history who had ever lived a truly innocent life would be executed. And yet, we find in the story of the Bible that it could have been no other way. Jesus even asked that, Father, if there's any other way, let this bitter cup pass from me. And yet, there was no other way. And so as we've been looking through the Bible, we've been looking at these different pictures that pointed to Christ, these types, these shadows of what Jesus would come to fulfill. And the day is here. This new and better Adam, Christ, would reverse the curse of the fall due to Adam's sin by perfectly obeying the Father. Just as one man's sin brought brought death into the world, one man's act of righteousness would bring life. Jesus, as the seed of the woman, Christ would finally crush the head of the serpent and destroy the works of the devil. This is why, when you read the Gospels, Jesus preaches the good news, He casts out demons, He heals the sick, He raises the dead. All of those things signify that He is the King, He's establishing His kingdom, and He's crushing the work of the devil. As the seed of Abraham, Christ would finally bring the blessing of God's presence back to His people by perfectly obeying the law and fulfilling the covenant. In Isaiah Isaiah 53, as the suffering servant, Christ would become our true Passover lamb. He would take away the sins of the world. He would be a substitute for sinners. As the seed of Judah, Christ would take His place as the true King of the nations. And as the seed of David, Christ is going to establish His kingdom forever. Everything culminates in the cross. The cross is what everything in Scripture points to. It is what every act of Jesus in His ministry pointed to. This is why the great Puritan, Matthew Henry, said this about the cross. He said, come and see the victories of the cross. Jesus' wounds are your healings. His agony is your rest. His conflicts are your conquests. His groans are your songs. His pain is your ease. His shame is your glory. His death is your life. His sufferings become your salvation. And John Stott said this. He said, the Christian community, the church, is a community of the cross. For it has been brought into being by the cross. And the focus of the church's worship is the lamb once slain, now glorified. Everything we do here today is because of the cross. The reason we worship today is because of Christ's suffering. We took communion today because of Christ's suffering on the cross. And so what we're going to do today is we look at John chapter 19, the story of the crucifixion. We're going to look at two big things here. The horror of wickedness and the humility of Christ. So I want us to read, we're going to read this in bits and pieces here. Let's begin in verse 17. John chapter 19, verse 17. It says, So they took Jesus and He went out, bearing His own cross, to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified Him, and with Him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross, It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. 
and it was written in Aramaic and Latin and in Greek. And so the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Let's stop right there for a minute. Here's what I want you to do. The first thing in your notes, the first point of this sermon today, is that when we look at the cross, we need to tremble at the horror of human wickedness. We need to tremble at the horror of wickedness. You want to see true wickedness and evil displayed, look no further than the cross. Because not only do we see our sin being being punished for on that cross, but we see in the story of the crucifixion how low humanity really can go. And how low do we see? As we read, if we read, if we read all of John chapter 19, we would see the depth of human sinfulness. First, we see it in the Jewish leaders. And what do we see from these Jewish leaders? We see them rejecting, arresting, accusing, and judging the Son of God. What form of of wickedness does it take for human beings to put themselves in the place of judge over the Son of God? Not only were the Jewish leaders wicked, but also the Roman leaders. We see their wickedness in sentencing and crucifying the Son of God. The wickedness of Rome putting an innocent man... Pilate knew was an innocent man, putting him on a cross to hang between two thieves. We see the wickedness of men and the soldiers who were stripping, scourging, mocking, beating, and even spitting on the Son of God. It just shows the level of human depravity, right? When we would... Look at the face of the one who created us and spit in his face. And yet, that's what the soldiers did. We see the wickedness in the crowds. In the story of the crowds, we find them ridiculing, reviling, and even shouting at the Son of God. Mocking him. If you're truly the Son of God, come down from the cross and save yourself. And I know that we read all of these people and we hear about them and we think, well, those people were disconnected from Jesus. The the Jewish leaders and the Romans, they really didn't know Jesus. And and the soldiers, they didn't know who Jesus was. And the crowds didn't know who Jesus was. But let's, let's take it even a step further. We see human wickedness even in the disciples. Betraying, denying, disobeying, scattering, and even deserting the Son of God. See, it's not just the Romans or the Jewish leaders who showed their wickedness. It was even the disciples of Jesus themselves who followed Christ for three years and then they left Him. Right? Even Peter denies Jesus three times and says, I don't know the man. When we look at the cross, I want us to tremble at the horror of wickedness, but don't just look at the wickedness of the Romans and the Jews and the disciples. We need to see our own wickedness. It cost the Son of God His life because of our sin. Have you ever thought about that? That if, if you wonder how serious does God take my sin, God takes it so seriously that He was willing to crucify His Son for your sin. This is true 
wickedness. And yet, even in the wickedness that we see in the cross, there is something else more important that we see. I want us this morning to tremble at the horror of wickedness. But more importantly, what I want us to focus on is to behold the humility of Christ. The humility of Christ and His sufferings. His willingness to go to that cross for us. Everything in the story of the Bible has been pointing to the sacrifice of a, of a Messiah. Someone who would come and stand in the place of sinners. We see this foreshadowed right in that ram that was caught in the thicket. When Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac, his only son, God gave a substitute. Pointing to the day that when there would be a lamb who would take away the sins of the world. And so, I want us to behold the humility of Christ. There's three pictures of the, what happened on that cross I want us to see today. Three things that, that happen. And the first one that we need to see is substitution. That Jesus died our death. This is ultimately what the cross was about. It was about substitution. Some innocent man dying in the place of sinners. We've read this in verses 17 to 22. That Jesus was carried outside the city to a place called the place of the skull. This was in accordance with Old Testament law that, that Jesus' execution would take place outside of the city. Hebrews 13 even makes a point of saying that Jesus died as our scapegoat in our place by being taken outside of the gates of the city just like the scapegoats in the book of Leviticus. And what do we see here in we see that Jesus was taken to the place of the skull. In Aramaic, it's called Golgotha. And in Latin, the word for skull is the word where we get for Calvary. I, I couldn't help this week, y'all. I've, I've been listening to, to hymns all week long about the cross. When you're preaching on the cross, it just takes your mind back to... And if you grew up in a contemporary church, just bear with some of us who grew up singing out of the hymn book, Right? Because, man, I, I, my, my mind went back to that song. Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me He died. On Calvary, mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty. At Calvary. Did y'all sing that song? Y'all are looking at me like you've never heard it. Y'all heard Okay, good. All right. Y'all feel free to join. I'm going to sing a lot today. Can't help it, right? These songs were in my bones and grew up with it. And now they take deeper meaning when you think about the cross. John emphasizes here that Jesus was at Calvary. That he was at the place of the skull. He was at Golgotha where Christ suffered in our place. But he also emphasizes here that Jesus was crucified between two thieves to fulfill Scripture. It says that he was placed between two thieves. These thieves, have you ever thought about this? That Jesus was actually substituting himself first for Barabbas, right? Barabbas was the thief where, they, where Pilate brought him before the crowd and said, Who do you want to crucify? Barabbas or Jesus? And the crowd yells, Free Barabbas. Isn't it interesting that it's possible that these two thieves could have been friends of Barabbas? They could have been fellow robbers with Barabbas. And that part right in the middle of those two crosses should have been Barabbas' cross. I could just imagine, I don't know if Barabbas became a Christian after this. It's kind of hard. You, you would think, surely the guy 
hung around to see the guy that would take his place on the cross. Barabbas surely knew that he was guilty. Surely knew that these two guys might have been his fellow robbers. You would think that Barabbas might at least stand back from afar and look at the cross and see that crucified carpenter in the midst of two thieves, his two buddies, and say, man, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. Pilate writes an inscription here that Jesus was the king of the Jews. And actually, it's, it's possible that Pilate wrote this to mock the Jews. Pilate wrote this to say, you want to see your king, Jews? Here's your king, king of the Jews, crucified on a Roman cross under the authority of Caesar. This is why the Jews wanted him to take the sign down, or at least change it and say, don't call him the king of the Jews. Just say that he made the claim that he's the king of the Jews. And yet Pilate is prophetically accurate because Jesus is truly the king of the Jews, and he is also the king of Pilate, which is why when Pilate asked him, Jesus, why do you remain silent? Do you not know that I have the authority to say whether you live or die? Jesus looks at Pilate and says, Pilate, the only authority that you have over me is what my Father in heaven gives you. Jesus willingly lays down his life to suffer in the place of sinners as our substitute. The cross is ultimately about substitution. And so what we see here, this is here in your notes, that Jesus becomes the fulfillment of Exodus 12. He is the Passover lamb who saves us with his blood. As our substitute, he saves us with his blood. This is why William Cowper wrote that famous hymn, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. But the second verse is where we land here. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. Jesus is the Passover lamb who saves us with his blood. But he is also the fulfillment of Exodus 24. He is the covenant keeper who seals us with his blood. Jesus not only saves us, but he seals us. He keeps the covenant for us. He obeys the law that we broke. He obeys the commandments that we could never fulfill. And he keeps the commandments, fulfills it, and seals us with his blood. This is why Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this about the cross. He said, is it not wonderful Is it not wonderful news to believe that salvation lies outside of ourselves? Isn't that good news for you today, Three Rivers? Aren't you glad salvation's not up to you, up to your your ability to obey, not up to your ability to keep the laws, to be faithful to the covenant? Aren't you glad that 1 Timothy is true, that when we are faithless, he is faithful? He's the one that keeps the covenant. The cross is utterly sufficient for everything you need. God cannot add one more thing to what he did for you on the cross. Jesus fulfilled everything for us. Is it not wonderful news to believe that salvation lies outside of ourselves? I started singing this this week. Down at the cross where my Savior died. Down where for cleansing from sin I cried. There to my heart was the blood applied. How's it go? Glory to His name. Glory to His name. Y'all can sing. Glory to His name. 
There to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to his name. I am so wondrously saved from sin. Jesus so sweetly abides within. There at the cross where he took me in. Glory to his name. Jesus deserves all the glory, all the credit for salvation because he did it all. We add nothing to his work this morning. It is a completed, finished work. Glory to his name. And so before the cross... We were headed to eternal death, but because of the cross this morning today, we now have eternal life. This is why Isaac Watts would write the famous hymn, Alas, and did my Savior bleed? And did my Sovereign die? Would He devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? He understood his own state before Christ. I am a worm in comparison to Jesus. I have nothing good to offer Him. It was at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. And the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. And now I am happy all the day. The first thing we see in the cross is substitution. That Jesus died our death. Secondly, this is another big word. It's a fancy word, but we need to understand this word. Propitiation. Substitution. Jesus died our death. Propitiation means Jesus endured our condemnation. The word propitiation in Scripture is one of the most important words in the Bible. And it means that Jesus appeased and satisfied God's wrath against us for our sin. That's what propitiation means. To appease wrath. Jesus endured our condemnation. And here's what I want you to understand about the the cross. When Jesus was there in the garden... And he prayed, he said, Father, let this bitter cup pass from me. That bitter cup was not about physical suffering. Jesus was not afraid of Roman soldiers or a cross. Jesus knew that his suffering would not be primarily physical suffering, but predominantly spiritual suffering. The cup that Jesus was going to drink from would, be, would bring spiritual suffering. And so what we need to understand about the cross is that Jesus was not a coward about to face Roman soldiers. He was a savior about to experience divine wrath. The cross is not ultimately about Jesus' beatings, about the crown of thorns in his head, about the spear in his side, about the Roman soldiers beating with the cat of nine tails. All of that is important. All of that was, was crucial to the sufferings of Christ. But his physical suffering is not ultimately what saves us today. What saves us today is what is Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 53 verse 10, that it pleased the Lord to crush him. It pleased the Father to crush the Son. So that ultimately the cross is not about physical suffering, but about the Son suffering divine wrath and taking the bitter cup of the wine of the wrath of God and drinking every bitter drop for you and me. That's what the cross is about. It's about Jesus taking spiritual suffering and enduring that for sinners like us. And so that's, that's why before the cross, you and I had a right to be afraid of God. You should be afraid of God before the cross. But because of the cross today, we are now friends of God. We are friends of God. 
This is why a blind woman who never saw the light of day, Fanny Crosby, could write, Tell me the story of Jesus. Verse 3, tell of the cross where they nailed Him, writhing in anguish and pain. Tell of the grave where they laid Him. Tell how He liveth again. Love in that story, so tender, clearer than ever I see. Stay, let me weep while you whisper. Love paid the ransom for me. Let's continue reading here in the text. Picking up in verse 22, Pilate answered to them, I have written what I have written. In verse 23, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier and also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. Why are all these details given? It's, to, it's given to show that Jesus fulfilled Scripture in every way. John says this was to fulfill the scripture which says they divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. And so to fulfill scripture the soldiers cast lots for Jesus' clothing. Notice in John chapter 19 that Jesus emphasizes that everything happens in this chapter in accordance with scripture. The soldiers gamble for Jesus' garments fulfilling the writings of King David in Psalm 22. And so what we see here in the cross of Christ and in His death, let's continue to read. It says the soldiers did these things. Verse 25, But standing by the cross of Jesus were His mother and His mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And we'll read about this in just a moment, verse 26. I want you to see that Jesus' death on the cross accomplished many things for the sake of God's people. And I'm just going to give you a list of these. I don't have time to explain them. But in 1 John, we see that Jesus absorbed and satisfied the wrath of God on the cross. In Isaiah 53 and Ephesians 5, Jesus pleased His heavenly Father through His death on the cross. In Ephesians 5.25 and Galatians 2, we see that Jesus demonstrated His great love for us. We teach our children this story, or this song. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But I think there needs to be another verse. If you want to know about the love of God, sing this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the cross tells me so. If you want to know about the love of Christ, look at the cross. Jerry Bridges says, if we want proof of God's love for us, then we must look first at the cross where God offered up His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. Calvary is the one objective, absolute, irrefutable proof of God's love for us. If you ever doubt the love of God, look no further than the cross. On the cross in Ephesians 1 and Matthew 26, Jesus purchased for us the forgiveness of sins. In Romans 3, He provides the basis for our justification on the cross. In Jeremiah 32, Jesus' death on the cross brings, brought, brought to us to faith and will keep us faithful. In Romans 5, Jesus completed the obedience that became our righteousness. In Romans 5 verse 10, Jesus reconciles us to God through His death on the cross. In Revelation 1, Jesus frees us from the slavery of sin. In Romans 6 and 2 Timothy 2, Jesus secured our resurrection from the dead through His death on the cross. In Hebrews 9, Jesus rescues us from the final judgment. And in Revelation 5, Jesus buys His people through the blood of His, of his suffering with that people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. He accomplishes so many things and more through His death on the cross. 
And it happens because of propitiation. Jesus suffers our condemnation in our place. He takes the condemnation that was set aside for us. We were children of wrath, destined for wrath. And Jesus substitutes himself and offers his sacrifice as a propitiation. And there's a third point here, quickly. We've seen substitution in the cross, propitiation. And one last point I want to make. Reconciliation. Reconciliation. This is a big word that means Jesus suffered our separation. We were separated from the Father because of Adam's sin in the garden. We were separated from God. We could not get back to God. The relationship that we were created for, for God to have had been, had been radically ripped apart. And there was nothing we could do to get back to Him. And so what God did in the death of His Son is He reconciled us and made peace Let's keep reading. It says, verse 26, When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. I'm going to comment about that here in just a minute, about how Jesus cares for his mother from the cross. Verse 28 through 30. This is, this is really the focus of the story of the Bible Verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Verse 30, here's the verse of the story of the Bible in 16 verses. This is our verse for today. Verse 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I want us to look at a couple of things here on the cross. The cry on the cross. When Jesus said it was finished, we need to understand something. This was not a cry of defeat. It was not a cry of unbelief. When Jesus said it is finished, it was not a cry of confusion or despair. When Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished. It was not a cry that he had lost. It was a cry that he had won. Jesus' cry on the cross was a cry when he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? This was not out of unbelief or confusion. It was a cry of physical agony, of spiritual anguish, and relational alienation. When I say that we're reconciled to God, Jesus is the one that suffered our separation. Jesus is the one who experienced what it's truly like to be separated from God. When we talk about hell, and we talk about hell being a place of eternal torment and a place of eternal suffering. It's also a place of eternal separation. I came across this quote by R.C. Sproul. Listen to these words. R.C. Sproul said, I wonder whether Jesus was even aware of the nails and the thorns. Have you ever thought about this? That that the spiritual suffering was so bad that he probably wasn't even aware of the nails and the thorns. He was overwhelmed by the outer darkness. Sproul says, on the cross, Jesus was in hell. Totally bereft of the grace and the presence of God. Utterly separated from all blessedness of the Father. He became a curse for us so that we one day will be able to see the face of God. 
God turned His back on His Son so that the light of His countenance will fall on us. It's no wonder Jesus screamed from the depths of His soul. Have you thought about that? That on the cross, Jesus suffered in a way that you and I cannot fully understand. Can you imagine suffering for the sins of not just one person, but the sins of all the people in human history that would put their faith in your name? All of those people experiencing an eternity of eternities of suffering in a moment and say, it is finished. Imagining, imagine suffering an eternal experience of hell in a moment and condensing all of that suffering and spiritual anguish into one moment. The reason we don't understand that is because we are merely human. Jesus was fully human and fully God, which meant He was capable of suffering an eternity of torment in a moment. And He experiences and is overwhelmed by the outer darkness. And yet, even in the midst of this, he's able to say from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So make no mistake about it, the cry on that cross is not out of confusion. He knows exactly what he's saying. He is experiencing true spiritual alienation from the Father so that you and I could be reconciled to God. So we see the cry on the cross, but we also need to see the curse on the cross. The, the cross itself was a curse. And so on that cross, Jesus was cut off from the Father's favorable presence. Can you imagine being Jesus, the eternal Son of God, who for all of eternity has experienced the perfect union with the Father. He has never been separated. He has always pleased His Father. He has never done anything wrong. The Father was eternally pleased with Christ from before the foundation of the world. They have always been in union with one another. They have always loved one another. There's never been any separation. They've never gotten into a fight. They've never been in an argument. They've never been separated. They have always has been in perfect union and now in one moment the Son of God is separated from the Father and the Father shows His displeasure on the Son and bruises the Son and crushes His Son and takes great pleasure in doing so to punish sin. Can you imagine the anguish of Christ experiencing the displeasure of His Father for the first time and it's utter displeasure. I don't think we fully understand what Christ went through on that cross. Even when we sing about it, I don't think we fully understand what Jesus endured. He was cut off from the Father's favorable presence. And Jesus was given the full payment of our disobedience. Everything we deserved because of our disobedience was given to Christ instead. I want you to think about that for a moment. In all the ways that you have sinned just this week. Don't even talk about last month or last year. Just think about this week. In all the ways that you have rebelled in your heart. In all the ways that your heart has fallen short of loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Think of all the ways just this week you have fallen short of the glory of God. And think about what that cost Christ. And remember that because of Christ, there is no punishment for you. No wrath. No condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
This is why we sing, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And when before the throne I stand in him complete. I stand in him complete. No flaws. No sin. Righteous. When before the throne I stand in him complete. Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat. You see, before the cross, we were cast out of God's presence. But today, because of the cross, we are now invited into God's presence. We are reconciled to God. We are invited into His presence. Jesus says, there are some blessings here I want to point out here on the cross. Verse 25 says that Jesus, uh, at the foot of Jesus' cross, was His mother, which I can't imagine being a, a mother watching your son be crucified. But Jesus looks down and looks at John, the disciple, and says, Behold your mother. Now, by the way, Mary was not John's mother. And Jesus looks at John and says, This is your mother. And he turns to Mary and says, This is your son now. Can you, y'all just get this in your bones. Jesus, this, this is such great encouragement for all believers. The fact that in Jesus' greatest moment of, moment of agony, he still takes care of his mama. And he still takes care of the disciple whom he loved. Can you just think, think with me for a minute? If Jesus was so eager to care for his mother in her hour of need, how much more is he eager to care for his disciples who hear the word of God today and do it? If Jesus could provide for the needs of his own mama in a moment of his deepest weakness and humiliation, how much more do you think he can provide for your need in his present power and exaltation, right? I mean, if he can do that from the cross, think how much more he could do now that he's sitting at the right hand of power. And so Jesus' instructions here for John and Mary illustrate for us the benefits of the church. What Christ has purchased from the cross for us as the body of Christ. One of the gifts Jesus gave to us from the cross was the church. A loving, caring, spiritual family. And so in John and Mary, Jesus shows how our needs will be met when we leave everything to follow him. John, take up your cross and follow me. And by following me, you're going to take care of my mother. Mary, you follow me too. And when you follow me, it's going to mean you take care of John. And Jesus has ordained that his children be taken care of by his true family. That's why we're a family today, right? What we are today and the reason we take care of one another was purchased by the cross of Christ. We care for one another. Let me finish up. Verses 28 to 30. To fulfill scripture, Jesus asks for something to drink. And then he speaks his final words before he dies. His words, I am thirsty, fulfilled Psalm 69 and Psalm 22. And then Jesus says these glorious words in verse 30. Three words in English, one word in Greek. It is finished. To tell us die. 
Tetelestai is a perfect tense word in the Greek, and I'm not here to give you a Greek lesson, but you need to know this about perfect tense. When, when he says it is finished in perfect tense, it means it is accomplished now with ongoing implications for the future. That means it is finished on the cross now, it will be finished tomorrow, it will be finished next week, it will be finished 2,000 years later in Rome, Georgia at Three Rivers for the sins of those people who are members of that flock. You all need to know today it is finished on the cross then and it is still finished today to tell a style we got some accountants here today visiting with us accounting term that means it is finished it is paid in full the debt is cleared there is nothing owed anymore you are free of your debt it is finished i have paid it in full And it will always be paid in full. And God will never bring your sin up against you anymore. He will never bring your debt to to account because it has been paid in full. The work of redemption is complete. And so let's finish here. Verses 31 to 37. To fulfill scripture, none of Jesus' bones were broken. His side was pierced. We're told, I'm not going to read this for you, but the soldiers came. They didn't break his legs. Because this fulfilled scripture, and if you remember in the Passover, they don't break the, lamb, the, 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 the bones of the lamb. This is all fulfilling scripture, even down to the last detail. Jesus' side is even pierced, ensuring his death, which fulfilled Zechariah chapter 12. And even his burial, we're told in verses 38 to 42, that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, both members of the Sanhedrin, buried the body of Jesus Fulfilling scripture that Jesus would be buried with the rich. He was given a royal burial with the, with the spices that were used. Joseph and Nicodemus both considered Jesus to be their king. And so how do we finish today? What is the point of this story? Everything in scripture has been pointing to the cross. So there's two things I want us to get from today. Okay, here we go. Ready? First one, John tells this story in John chapter 19, he tells the story of the crucifixion ultimately so that we would believe in Christ. That's why he tells the story. He tells us in John chapter 20, I've written all of these things to you so that you would believe in the only name of the Son of God and find life in His name. So, as you hear this today, I want to ask you, are you believing in Christ? And I know many of us here are. We're we're trusting in Christ. We're believing in Jesus And so I just want to remind you, even if you're a Christian today, you need to be reminded, continue believing in Jesus. He is the only payment for your sin. The work is finished. So if you are in despair for your sin today, if you are discouraged because of your struggle, if you're struggling today, look at the cross. It is only in the cross where you'll find victory over sin and temptation. It's only in the cross that you'll find relief from past guilt. It's only in the cross where you'll find forgiveness of sin. So believe in Christ today. Continue to believe in Jesus. And if you've never believed... Repent of your sin and believe in Jesus today. We will be glad to baptize you. We will be glad to rejoice with you. But put your faith in Jesus. He has suffered for your sin. We sang this earlier. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but lost and pour contempt on all my pride. So John tells the story about the crucifixion so that we would believe in Christ. But the Apostle Paul does the same thing. He also tells the story of the crucifixion for another reason. Not just that we would believe in Christ, but that we as Christians 
will only boast in the cross. May your only boast today be in the cross of Christ. The only good thing you have to offer God today is your faith in Jesus who died in your place. We have nothing to boast in. We sang about that today after communion. That we dare not boast in anything we've accomplished. There is no reason for God to save us based on any merit of our own, but only in Christ. And so let your boast today be in the cross. Anything good that you do, let it be because of the cross. If you brag on yourself, brag because you are believing in the cross. Boast in the cross today. I'm thankful for, for growing up in the church and singing those hymns that would remind me constantly of the cross. We sang a lot about the cross growing up. And I didn't think much about it growing up, but now I realize it, that was crucial for my, for my growth as a Christian to be reminded of the cross weekly. One of my favorites and one of the ones we would sing a lot was this one. You can sing it if you know it. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross Till my trophies at last I lay down I will cling to the old rugged cross And exchange it someday for a crown. Let's pray. Father, today we cherish the cross of Christ. And I thank you for the cross. It was the cross that made the difference. All the difference in my life. Had it not been for Jesus, I would still be lost in my sin today. And we would have no hope. So Father, I pray that you would just use this simple reminder from your word for our people. That all of us today would believe in Christ anew and trust in Him anew. If we've been tempted to trust in ourselves, help us to put our faith in Jesus anew today. And Father, may our boast only be in what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. Father, I pray for anyone in this room, possibly children today who are hearing the gospel, would you awaken their little hearts and, and take out their hearts of stone and put in hearts of flesh? Would you use the simple message of the cross of Christ to convict them of sin, and to save them? Anyone today who's not placed their trust in Jesus, would you bring repentance and faith? And Father, I pray that you would do more than that for us today. I pray that you would You've given us a new heart, but give us boldness to share that hope with the world. 
Father, as we go to the park tonight at Ridge Ferry, would you, would you give us boldness just to share that good news with those who are there? To have conversations, would you open up opportunities for us to share with the people who are there? To invite them to church? Father, as we worship today, help us to worship in a way that shows our true joy in our salvation. The salvation that you have purchased through the cross of Christ. Father, as our children watch us worship today, may they see true joy. True adoration. May we sing loud and with great joy about what you have done for us. Father, be glorified today in our worship. In Jesus' name, amen.